I'm going to use this because I think I'm probably going to need it because I'm a little bit raspy, raspy tonight. Um, I think it was 2004, 2004 or 5. I had the opportunity to go to a large Asian com- country um, far on the other side of the world, about a 13-hour flight over the North Pole um, to this place. You can probably guess which country I'm talking about. And uh, I had the opportunity to teach English as a second language for about 10 days at a university over there. And uh, this was a group of, of Christian um, teachers. Uh, there was about 10 or 12 of us that went over there. And we just had a great time. In fact, it's the same place, the um, same city that Stephanie Ruger's in at this moment, um, teaching full-time over there. Anyway, while we were there, uh, we had just a great time um, learning about the culture, teaching conversational English with these um, students, having a wonderful time doing sightseeing, going to this large wall um, that's over there, and uh, just just eating amazing food and, uh, and just having fun. At the same time, we had, as students got to know us, they wanted to know, well, you know, who are you and what do you do and, um, back in the States? And they asked lots of questions of us. They wanted to know all about us. And during those times, you would have the opportunity just naturally to like say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. And it was very natural how these conversations just would happen. I remember one girl who asked me, um, uh, tell me a Bible story. I've never heard one. Uh, flat out, like during our conversational friendship times. And you just got a sense of, wow, how uh, needy the world is in terms of this message of the gospel and people not knowing it. Um, during the time that we were there, we also ran into some conflict and what I would call some very mild persecution. Um, there was a security organization that kind of worked in this place and they had planted a person within our group, within the group of teachers to kind of check us out and to um, just see what we were doing and that sort of thing. And one of the students I was getting to know actually came and told me, basically ratted out this person and said, listen, this guy that's been going on all these trips with us, he is not a teacher here. He's not one of the people here. He's actually from this other organization. And he's here basically checking you guys out. And I just want you to know that. And when he was doing this, he was shaking. He was literally shaking and fearful because in in doing that he was actually exposing himself to these same authorities that were kind of questioning who we were everything was fine but we also learned while we were there about another man i'm going to call him ronnie and ronnie had a group a fellowship kind of like this that grew and he was also a teacher at this school and on easter sunday over there that's not his real name, by the way. He was uh, basically kidnapped by this security um, organization. A black hood put over his head. And for basically about 30 hours, they interrogated him. Uh, they let him go. But basically, he was a marked man after that. Uh, he was marked because of his love for Jesus and his love for the gospel. And having a group of people who are were seeking to share that message uh, involved with him. And so he probably um, will not get job promotions because of that. 
Um, he will be marked as someone who believes in that sort of thing, and that's dangerous. And what we're talking about tonight is is kind of the the what I would call the gospel reaction, the persecution, and the boldness of believers in the midst of that. And so we're going to read Acts chapter five, which deals with all those issues of of the gospel going forward, persecutions happening at the same time. There's boldness. And God is doing great and wonderful things. And so, um, if you would, read with me. I'm going to start in verse 12 and just read through the end of the chapter. So, hear God's Word tonight. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. This is the apostles. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that, it, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from, from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison security locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. And let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. 
But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing and they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. One second. Might need to keep this with me. So, tonight we're kind of talking about this idea of being bold for Jesus. It's kind of a scary idea, isn't it? If people knew that you were bold for Jesus, they might think you were a fanatic. They might think you were crazy. They might think that you had a wheel lost in your brain. Our culture, to some extent, doesn't... In many ways, they look at Christianity and they say, um, this is intolerance. Uh, You know, we live in a pluralistic society. There's many different religions. How can you say that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life? That's difficult teaching in our culture, which highlights everything is equal, everything is true. And so when it comes to Christianity... That is dangerous because Jesus is saying in this way, He's saying, hey, I am your Creator. I'm the one who made you. And yes, I am coming to redeem you. And yes, I am true because I am your Creator and I'm the one who created everything. And so, when we, when we think about this idea of the Gospel going forward and being bold, it's hard. And so, it's difficult. It's difficult to talk to your roommate about Jesus or about what you really believe or to engage in any kind of conversation. It's very difficult to do this. And especially, I believe, in our culture. And so I want to give you some encouragement that there's some answers here. There's some hope uh, in this passage about how you can, if you're a Christian, like how you can become bold um, and how you can break out of maybe that defense mode or, or break out of that silent mode and actually speak and tell the gospel of grace in a gracious way. And so um, that's what we're going to talk about. The big idea is because God's gospel is going forward, we must proclaim it even when there's fear of persecution. And so how do we get over that hump? Get over the fear of sharing this gospel uh, of grace that Jesus... And I think the first thing is this, and we see it in this passage, but these apostles had a firm belief that God was with them. They had a firm belief that God was in them and with them. In fact, one of the things that we see in the passage at the end when Peter is speaking before the Sanhedrin, he says, um, the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Remember, this is Acts chapter 5. The Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Remember, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 is with His apostles and He ascends. And before He ascends to heaven, He says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And what does He do? He empowers uh, the apostles and the disciples to proclaim this message. And they... uh, Tongues of fire come. And it's kind of this supernatural 
happening and it creates a buzz and people gather around and they have this natural opportunity to share about Jesus and they proclaim Him and the Holy Spirit comes and everything changed. Right there, Peter, who was fearful and had denied Jesus three times, is now full of the Holy Spirit and proclaiming Jesus and 3,000 people come to know the Lord that single day. Amazing things happen. So the Holy Spirit is with them. And so one of the things you got to realize is in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came in very spotty... Uh, he came every once in a while. He was with David. He was with Saul. Um, he was with, the, um, with, with some of the prophets on special occasions. You know, he, he, came, he kind of picked and chose when he would show up and do things. But now... You see, in the New Testament, in Acts, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit coming down upon the church. And the beauty of it is Jesus talked about this all through John. He said, the Counselor's coming. I need to go so that the Counselor can come. When the Counselor comes, He's going to fill you with His presence. He's going to um, enlighten you and illuminate you to the things of God. He's going to make me known to people and to you. Um, He is going to be with you. Um, for all times. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you because my spirit is going to be with you. And so, what we see here is that these people are experiencing the Holy Spirit and they know that God is with them and it empowers them um, to proclaim this message. So there's a beautiful, what I would say, like a holy forgetfulness of the self here that's going on with Peter and the apostles. They are just so full of Jesus and His Holy Spirit that they cannot help but Proclaim him. They can't help but speak uh, this name of Jesus, even in the midst of persecution. The other thing that we see here is that there's all these signs and wonders that are taking place. Okay, like right in the beginning, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now, in this, signs you need to know aren't just miracles for miracles' sake. It's not just that they were like, hey, watch me, like, Raise this person up. You know, like, look at me. They were signs pointing to something else. The miracles, these powerful things, healing of people, casting out demons, raising the dead. The things that Jesus did, the apostles are now doing. Because Jesus um, had placed His Spirit on them for those specific purposes, specifically so that they would believe the message. So, in, in John, this idea of signs and wonders... Um, in fact, in the, in the Gospel of John, the word is sign, not miracle. And it's basically when Jesus did these miracles, He was testifying to the fact that He was God, that He was the Creator. And this is why He was doing these things, to prove the message is true. So when the apostles go out with these, these signs and wonders that they, were, they had the gifts for, and when they were raising the dead and healing people and casting out demons, it was all to point back to not themselves saying, hey, look at us. Don't we have a powerful ability here? It was all about this is the message that Jesus has given us. Jesus is true. He is God. He has come for Israel and for the world. Believe in Him. And so that's why they were given these messages. And so healings and signs and wonders are taking place. Um, and so God, God is sending all of these things. The, the Lord is at work with His Spirit with these amazing um, signs and wonders. And also, we have this crazy account of an angel showing up as well. So, Peter and the apostles are in prison. The public prison, it says. 
And next thing you know, an angel of the Lord shows up, unleashes them, sets them free, and tells them, I want you to go back to the temple and what? Proclaim Jesus. Proclaim the life. What is going on with all these supernatural things? Well, angels, just a side note, you know, um, it's interesting, when Jesus came, we have an outburst of angels, don't we? When, when uh, the, Christmas, the Christmas story, the incarnation, angels are on the hill singing out. Gabriel comes and tells Mary and Elizabeth about the child that would come to them. I don't understand that. But God, in His wisdom, has created these other beings. They're not people. Okay, but they're these heavenly creatures that give messages. And everywhere we see them show up in the Scriptures, usually people are crazy afraid of them. Um, now, the, the apostles, we don't know if they're afraid, but He sends them on a mission back to the temple. But um, angels are all through the Old Testament as well. Um, angels are delivering Israel. The angel of death came to bring Israel out of Egypt. The angel of the Lord helped fight for Joshua and the children of Israel. There's the angel that shows up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I mean, all through the Old Testament, we have these other beings from God that are showing up. And what are they doing? All of them are, are inter- intervening. All of them are giving messages for God. And in all of these things, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's these signs and wonders, God breaking in, um, what is God doing? God is intervening into the life of people to, to bring His knowledge to people. That's what we see happening here. Um, and He's doing that to save people. He's doing that to tell them, this is Jesus. This is the message. This is what you need for true life. All through the Scriptures, you see this. God breaks into our universe and He's breaking in for the purpose of redeeming a people, saving a people. And, you know, if you're skeptical, which, which I am many, the t- many times, I, I sometimes wonder about this. Like, this, all of this, is the supernatural real? I mean, this story is kind of crazy. There's signs and wonders. There's miracles going on. Um, there's, an, there's angels showing up. Like, what is happening? Um, you know, if you're here tonight and you're still questioning like whether or not you believe or not, you know, you might think of this as like, this has got to be fairy tales. This has got to be legends. This is, you know, this is why I don't believe in the Bible because we obviously know that, you know, these things don't take place anymore. You might think that. Um, you might think Christianity is some sort of like a wish religion that's made up and these things were edited back in. Many people believe that about the Bible, that these stories were fabricated as the the centuries went on. And these supernatural things were added in to make people believe. But if you also think about this, and this is my challenge to that idea. One is, have you been everywhere in the universe? And do you know that for sure that there's not the supernatural? Do you know that for sure in your finite world? that you live in. Um, One of the things is, Christianity believes that this world is not a closed system. Naturalism believes that this universe, this world is closed. It's the universe, it's time, matter, and chance, it's all the molecules, it's 
everything that we see and feel and can experience and put under a microscope. That is the real world. And we, ha- we don't know if this other world exists. From the very beginning, the Bible is saying, no, the supernatural is real, that there is an invisible world and a visible world. In fact, one of our creeds says that Jesus is Lord of both the, or we believe in God the Father and we believe in He was the creator of things visible and invisible. So, automatically, what Christians believe throughout the centuries is that there's these two worlds. There's an invisible world, the spiritual world, God is spirit, but also there's a visible world. And the amazing thing is that Jesus was given a body, the incarnation, He is God and He is spirit, and He was also given a body, and He is real and He is physical. That we believe in these two worlds. Okay? And that's important to know so that if you believe that, okay, God could create an invisible and invisible world, if you start with that premise, it's not too hard to believe that, well, God could break in with miracles. God could break in and do amazing things. God could, just like He created this world, He could create other beings and send them into this world with messages. So that's why I believe it. You gotta believe, you gotta have faith in the first premise that you, you're open to the possibility that there's a supernatural. And if you're open to the possibility of a supernatural, then you're open to the possibility that uh, a supernatural God could break in to this world and do amazing things outside of the law of physics, so to speak. Okay? So, C.S. Lewis has written a bunch of that. I don't have a quote right here, but I bet you there's a good one. Um, so... Another thing to kind of go back and, and I'll rehash this idea is, is why, you know, why do I believe so fervently? Why do I believe this is true? And, and, I, and I would say because of the testimony of Luke and the testimony of the church through the ages, the testimony of the apostles. Do you think these apostles would suffer all this abuse and do all of this if these things weren't real? If they really didn't see the risen Christ die on the cross be buried for three days and then rise again and touch Him and speak to Him and be with Him and see Him eat food. All these sorts of things. Do you think they would put themselves through this torment of being beaten time and time again? We'll see this as uh, we go through Acts. The, the persecution is incredible. In the next chapter, two chapters away, there's going to be a guy by the name of Stephen who was martyred because he believed in the risen Christ and saw Him and believed in Him. And so, we believe because of the testimony of others who believed. And we also believe because uh, the Spirit opens our hearts that these possibilities are there and we can have faith in that. Um, that was a long point. The next thing is this. How, how, so, so, believing in the supernatural and believing that God is doing these things is part of what it means to understand that God has a plan. And God is breaking in. He's sending His Holy Spirit. He's sending the supernatural miracles. He's sending angels. He's intervening in our world because He's the sovereign God who's on a mission to save this world. Okay? So, that's you need to have that firmly in order to have boldness. You need to believe in that God that does the supernatural. As you talk to your roommate, it's not just a it's not just a conversation. The Holy Spirit is with you. Holy Spirit, guess what? Sovereignly puts you with that roommate or sovereignly puts you in that class with people or sovereignly puts you in that family with others that maybe don't believe. It's not just haphazard. It's it's God 
orchestrating and sending and placing you and putting you in that situation. God's means are not to zap people with the gospel, but God's means are to use you as His agents, just like the apostles were spreading the word. Okay. Second thing is this, boldness. How do we get it? Um, And this goes back to this idea of He sends helpers. He sends the church and He sends this guy Gamaliel. So first we have the church. One of the things that's going on is the church is growing. In fact, it was growing so much that the Sanhedrin was afraid of the crowds because they loved the apostles for what they were saying and what they were doing. So we have this... We have this body of believers that's forming in Jerusalem, 3,000 in Acts 2. People are coming to know Jesus. People's lives are being changed. They're excited about the gospel. And this is an encouragement to to the apostles as they're in prison. Um, They know that there's people out there praying for them. In Acts chapter 4, in fact, when they were arrested and in prison, they, they get released again and they go immediately to the church and the church has this wonderful prayer service and the whole place shakes. An earthquake happens. They felt the communion of saints, it's called. They felt the church, the bigness of God's people with them, encouraging them, giving them boldness. You cannot be a Christian alone. You know, I've, I've said this. You can't, Cyprian said, you can't have God for your father without the church as your mother. So to speak, you can't be a lone ranger in, in, the Christ, in, Christ, in the Christian faith. You have to be with other people. It's like a log in a fire being, you know, if the log goes out of the fire, what happens? It just kind of burns up and smolders. You need, you need the fire of other believers who are encouraging you, who are helping you with your, your issues, your temptations, your sin, praying for you, being with you, being connected with you in a, in a fellowship that's stronger than blood. And it's through that connection and through that fellowship, the apostles are all there together, that they continue to not be depressed. They continue to go out with the message. Somehow they are given this power. So, how can you be encouraged? I mean, little things like go to church on Sunday. Be encouraged with other people older and younger than you who love Jesus and have a lot more wisdom than you, go, be there, sing, even if they're off key, if you don't like the songs, or wow, these these hymns are boring. Keep singing them. Stuff will penetrate you. God works in mysterious ways at church. Through His Word preached, through the sacraments, through the fellowship, through the prayer, through the call to worship, through all that stuff. God works. God does amazing things. God does stuff here. This is part of it. Small groups. Just having a good Christian friend to talk to and to share with and to like pour out your heart. That is like, you have to have that. Or else you will dry up and you will be a log out of the fire pit. Gamaliel. Who's this guy? Alright, there's this interesting scene where... Um, They, you know, the Sanhedrin is meeting, and next thing you know, this guy Gamaliel um, gets up, and they, the, the council is basically ready to kill them. It says, 
in verse 33. But a Pharisee in a council named Gamaliel, teacher of the law held in honor by the people, stood up. What does he do? He calms him down. I don't know who this guy is. We know a little bit about him. He was either the son or the grandson of Hill, the Rabbi Hillel. You know about the Hillel Center on the other side of campus. Okay, so there was like these schools of thoughts within Judaism. And Hillel was one of the big rabbis and one of the big schools of thought. And Gamaliel, his son or grandson, they believed had another school of thought. He was a great teacher of Israel. In fact, he was the, the teacher that taught the Apostle Paul. Okay, so here he is before we meet Paul. Before, you know, Paul's, Paul could have even been in this, in this chapter, in that council. But Gamaliel is used by God to bring about a calm thinker and wisdom into this situation, even though, as far as we know, Gamaliel is not a believer, didn't believe in Jesus, you know, believed in Yahweh, believed in God of the Old Testament, believed in the law. Uh, but he comes in and he starts talking about, hey, you guys, calm down. You remember, uh, you know, Thutis or whatever, he had 400 guys and they were with him for a while, then he died, they scattered, came to nothing. There was another guy, did the same thing, he died and they scattered and it came to nothing. So, let's just be patient with these guys and uh, if... You know, let's wait and see. Because if it's of God, you won't be able to stop it. So he had a real faith in God that, like, God moves. And But don't you see that, like, how God is, again, orchestrating and He's using people outside of the apostles to redeem His people? <laughs> because of Gamaliel, these guys are set free and they continue to preach the Gospel. Because of Gamaliel, Paul is the most knowledgeable believer that we will meet who has this amazing way to take the Old Testament and to make it real and how, showing how Jesus fulfills all of it and how He's the true Messiah. Now, where did He get all that knowledge? Well, God used Gamaliel in His life to show him how to understand the Old Testament. And then He was able to connect the dots with Jesus. So God is using all kinds of people in your life right now. All kinds of teachers who might not even know Jesus. Your family might not know Jesus. I mean, all of these people, God has put sovereignly in your life. And He is orchestrating His plan. And they're giving you wisdom and knowledge and different ideas to form who you are as a person. And that's going to be useful for you as you go forward and as you think about the Gospel. So remember... God is in control. He's sovereign. He's orchestrating His kingdom. He's bringing in the church. He's bringing in all kinds of people that are outside the church even to bring about His plan in your life. Don't forget that. Do not think you're haphazardly here at the University of Maryland. God has put you here sovereignly for a purpose, making His name known as one of them. The last thing here, boldness to share. Where does it come from? Knowing that Jesus is exalted. Knowing that Jesus is exalted. Boldness comes because, see, the apostles believe the authority of God. They believe the person of Jesus and the position. In fact, the name of Jesus is powerful. In fact, the Sanhedrin said, bring the apostles in. They told them not to teach in the name of Christ. There was something about this name Jesus. In fact, 
Logan talked about last week in Acts chapter 4 when the man, the beggar man was healed, the apostle said, we, we healed him in the name of Jesus. Jesus is exalted. He is on the throne. And Peter, when he's giving his testimony, says this, we must obey God rather than men, verse 29. And then he launches into a mini-sermon about Jesus' death, resurrection, the repentance and forgiveness of sins. He says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at the right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. And so, what's going on? Well, they are... They have this knowledge that Jesus is not small, but that Jesus is equal and He's been raised to the right hand of God. He's exalted as leader and Savior. They see Him as the resurrected Christ. He's defeated death. He's defeated the grave. They see Him as, it says, leader and Savior. In another translation, it talks about prince and Savior. Meaning, he's like the king. Just like David was a shadow of the king of Israel. Now Jesus is the ultimate king of the universe. He's exalted at the right hand of God. God's son. So he's equal with God. But he's the prince. He's the leader to defeat all of our enemies of sin and death. And so they have this firm understanding that Jesus is alive. Jesus is exalted. And he is at my ultimate authority. And that is why they can sing out and proclaim Him in the midst of this persecution and boldness. They can't be stopped. They can't be tied down because in their mind they have a greater authority. And this is our problem. This is my problem. My biggest authority are other people and what they think. My biggest, my biggest problem is I don't share the faith because I'm afraid of people. I'm a weakling. I can't just talk to them about it because they'll think I'm crazy. I'm a fanatic. I'm a loony. I have no knowledge. And yet Jesus is saying, no, I'm on the throne. And remember the Great Commission. What does He say? All authority is given to Me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. All authority. That's hard to imagine, but he, it's more than President Lowe. Okay? It's more than President Obama. Okay? It's more than the head of, the, you know, of all the nations, the UN. Jesus is in authority. And He is saying to you and me, I got your back. I'm with you. You can go. You can screw up. But I'll be with you. You can blurt out the weakest little testimony of like, I believe in Jesus. I want to talk to you about something important. You can, you can just be weak, but he, the thing is, you see, He is strong. And, and all authority in the Holy Spirit works in amazing ways. And, you know, you would be surprised if you were to open your mouth and just talk to someone that you know and say, hey, I've never told you, like, this is one of the important things in my life. Would you give me five minutes to tell you? Or can I just tell you? I would, 
I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to, to remember Jesus is on His throne. He is sending you and me. He's sending you to do it. And He's the big guns. I was thinking about this analogy. Like It would be one thing if you were a soldier and your captain said, Hey, I want you to take the hill. I know that there's a 1,400 machine gun shooting at you, but you got to go. Take it. That would be really hard. But what if he said, we got 15 battleships behind you that are blowing out their guns. Just go. You'll be fine. You would probably go. You'd have to go. Because they would be taken care of it. And, and that's what I'm saying. That God in His authority is like those battleships that are just blowing out the gunners. He, he is sending His Spirit. He's sending His people. He's sending His church. He is doing all of these things. And He is in authority. And He's telling us to go and just to have confidence that He's there with us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank You for um, the apostles. Thank You for this story that You've given to us that talks all about Your work. I pray that You would um, convict us where we are holding on to our own idols, our own um, weaknesses, uh, fears. Lord, let us confess them. Let us be people that aren't afraid. Uh, people that can talk naturally about our faith um, when the opportunities arise and, and make the opportunities arise. Um, Jesus, would You help us in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and